0: Welcome back to positive talk radio. Our goal is simple to explore evolving ideas, one conversation at a time. So come on over into our world. I know you'll like it because on today's show. Hey, we've got an author. We've got a gentleman that is, um, he's traveled the world. He he's a very, very talented man. And, uh, um, we're going to be talking to him in just a minute, but before we do that, I have to talk to Eric again because, because then talk about what we are what we are doing now that we have. As I feel like Star Trek, we have gone. We're going to where no man has ever gone before. Where are we going? <laughs>
1: Well thankfully it's places where lots of men and women have actually gone before otherwise it wouldn't really be worth doing uh, but uh, yeah we're streaming the show live video and audio of course on KKW's website 1150kkw.com but also now to uh, KKW's Facebook KKW's Twitter and KKW's YouTube as well as Positive Talk Radio's Facebook and positive talk radio's YouTube channel as well. So lots of ways that people can watch and listen to the show, which is fantastic because you've got great guests as always, including today's guests.
0: Yes, indeed. I'm very pleased with. Uh, I don't know did he, where where did he go. <laughs> He's here.
1: He's ready to go when you are. Oh, okay, great.
0: Uh, um, well, for <laughs> so we got to get the technology down for me to figure this out because I'm. You know, anyway, uh, but but no, Eric. He, he is a, a gentleman. He was in he was in the military. He was in IT for a long time, and he he also worked in Southeast Asia and and he spent some time in Vietnam. He's written a book about all of that called Sunrise in Saigon, mm-hmm. and he is he's an amazing dude um, yeah. in his own right. And uh, and uh, I I've been looking forward to talking to him. He's he's got a Unlike me, I have a degree in BS, but it's a completely different type of degree <laughs> than the one that he's got. He's got a Bachelor of Science and an MBA and a global marketer and all of that kind of stuff. So, so Patrick,
2: welcome to the show. How are you, sir? Kevin, thank you very much for having me, Eric. Thank you for having me today. Love, love to be here.
1: It's our pleasure. And of course, for folks li- just listening in, they can see this on the screen if they're watching, but it's author Patrick Greenwood. Uh, so, folks uh, need that information if they want to find his books. I'm sure.
0: Yes. Did I say Patrick?
1: You, you just said Patrick?
0: Oh, gotcha. gotcha. <laughs>
1: so there's a lot of Patricks in the world, Kevin. So, <laughs> there are for <laughs> folks. <laughs> yes,
0: indeed. And if, if you also want to go to Sunrise mm-hmm. that's his website. And you'll learn all about the book that he's written, and and the man himself. And Patrick, again, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? Thank
2: you, sir. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me.
0: And I wanted before we even begin, I wanted to make sure everybody knows that if they go and they buy this book, which is I think would be a lot of fun. It's it's a great novel in in the in the spirit of like Tom Clancy and others. Mm -hmm. uh, But but you're doing something special with the proceeds. What are you doing?
2: Yeah, so really, uh, the proceeds of the book and also coffee sales, I have a coffee website as well, uh, is going to Helmets for Kids in Vietnam, and which is really kind of the gist of the whole storyline a little bit. Um, during, you know, during my travels in Vietnam, uh, early on in 2012, when I was cycling around, obviously, you get a, a huge perspective of any country that you cycle in, but to actually see children that uh, were having, you know, not only trying to navigate their bikes, but navigating their bikes against 8 million scooters and cars, was really something to really, you know, take a deep breath on. And none of them had helmets. And uh, so it was interesting. Um, I reached out to the organization in 2019. I said, hey, you know, I'm writing his book. I've got some coffee coming out that's going to support the book. I-, I love to name you my benefactor. So uh, Helmets for Kids in Vietnam has uh, been around since 2000. Uh, it was originally started by President Bill Clinton when he made his trip to Vietnam. Uh, and this was one of his initiatives he had when he was making that very first trip as the U.S. president. Uh, so it's been around almost uh, 20 years uh they've i think made almost a million helmets so far and they've distributed them in vietnam and thailand and india as well so it's a wonderful organization and i'm very very happy to be proud of it that that is awesome that is awesome now i did want to
0: i wanted to talk to you a little bit about vietnam true sure. because i i uh when i was uh 18 which was and and graduated from high school i it was 1975 and you know that that is also the year that that we pulled out of vietnam um, and in the course of between 60 what was it 62 63 and 75 that f- 56,000 american died americans died and well over and i don't even know that they know the number but it's well over a million vietnamese died
2: 3 3 million actually oh and, you know, and oh, I, that would be well over <laughs> yeah i was uh, i was really astounded when i learned that as well and uh, during my research uh, and when I made my first trip to, to Vietnam in 2012, uh, it was really like uh, when you meet a lot of the people and you talk to them, you know, many of them don't remember. The younger kids don't have no concept of, of the war. The older generation that are still around, they'll tell you, you know, different numbers. But I think it almost was between your points, 62 to 75, I think it was close to 3 million people passed away. And I would have thought that
0: there would be a sense of, A grudge or hatred or something about the united states because of that war that lasted for so long and the french before that Mm -hmm. and and all and they were they were literally a war for 30 years
2: um or more more. well very longer Um, actually japan in the china and japan in the 30s and then Japan in World War II in the 40s. Then you had the French in the 50s. And you had the Americans in the 60s and 70s. Then you had the Chinese in 78. And then you had Kim and Rouge in, in Cambodia in like 79, 80. So they really did not really, really attain a peaceful society until the late 1980s. Um, so you think from the 1930s, nineteen eighty, that was 50, 50 plus years that the country was at war at some point.
0: So I, you know, I asked her the last time we talked when we were preparing for this, and I said, "Well, how badly do they hate us?"
2: <laughs> that was the greatest surprise. It was when I landed in 2012, and I was walking through the airport. Uh, I, I was thinking, you know, that you know, not not to get a warm welcome it was quite the opposite. People wanted to take pictures of me. They were saying, "Hey, you need a ride to the Milton or the or the Marriott," and and everyone was so warm. Even the customs people were, were wonderful, and I. And it really took me, as I was walking around the city and cycling and meeting people, they were open. They were like, hey, you're welcome. Um, and, and there was a lot of reasons for that. And I, I was on a previous podcast, I think a month ago, with a, a podcast like yourself in London, and she asked the exact same question. And I said, I think it's because they actually had closure. They act, the war actually did bring unification of the country in 1975. And I think when you have a sense of closure to something, you have a place to move forward. And I think when you look at other conflicts like, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan and some of the other ones that are happening today, because there's no sense of closure, there's no way to move forward. And I think that also led to why today there's such a great relationship between Vietnam and the United States, not only at a trade level, but there's so many people that have come here to work and to go to school that have turned around and gone back to Vietnam in order to support their families as well. But I do think because there was a closure on April 30th, 1975, that there was a way for a path forward as well.
0: You know, it's interesting because uh, we're going to be interviewing one of the folks that are in, in your book group, that, <laughs> and she came from Afghanistan, yeah. and her experience of that was way different than you can imagine, being a female in Afghanistan when the Russians were there, and then um, I think she was out before the Americans got there.
2: But. Yeah, she was, and she was on to Canada by then. But yeah, she's a wonderful writer. She has a great book that she cut out a great journey uh, from Afghanistan to to Canada. And uh, yeah, Parshu's an amazing writer as well.
0: Yeah, so it's it, you are doing some really good work, and you've. But you also were in uh, you were in engineering and in sales. And, and I'm looking at a picture of you with a bunch of. <laughs> how tall
2: are you? Six foot one. <laughs> you you look like. Do you know who you know, Andre the Giant is? Yes. Seven, what, he's 7'5", 7'3"?
0: You look like Andre the Giant compared <laughs> to the, the the people that you are in the picture with.
2: <laughs> yes. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm six foot one.
0: That That is just, they couldn't be, neither. none of them were over, could have been more than 5'2", five, 5'3". Five, no, no,
2: they're very short. Very short mm-hmm. people. Yeah, I was in, but there was a few tall people there in the north in Vietnam, but most of the people, you're right, are, were very short.
0: Now, I was just thinking, if they're tall people in the north, could they have been, uh, put, you know, maybe had an American father kind of thing, and mm-hmm. and, and that kind of stuff.
2: There, there is a lot of yes, and uh, but the, the wonderful thing about that is, uh, at the end of the war, yes, there was a lot of, um, you know, disenchantment that went on. A lot of the people that were considered half breeds were were alienated in society. Uh, many of them were put in, you know, obviously, re-education camps among many people during the you know, the first three, four years. But what what the country recognized, I think, in the early 2000s was what made Vietnam Vietnam was that everybody came from a different background. Molten Yards, people in the North, people in the Highlands, people in the Mekong Delta regions. And I think as they started unifying their society, then more and more people that were born to American fathers or French fathers as well. And there was a lot of French mix as well that they all just became, you know, immaculated into the society. And I think when I was touring, I, I could definitely spot a lot of people that were both, you know, both types of, um, you know, you know historical backgrounds. And and there was not the animosity, at least in public. Uh, there was a lot of that, you know, people that you'd run into in a mall or shopping or, or even cycling. And, and it just seemed to be a much better environment for them than it was in the late 1970s.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting because um, you think that, see, we were never told in... For those of you that are a little bit longer in the tooth and can remember being alive during the Vietnam War, we were never told some of the things that uh, not only went on there, but that how the society actually worked, that there were multiple tribes and it was more of a tribal society than it was a North versus South thing. That was kind of a driven by, by outside forces rather than and and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that that's accurate. That it was, it's more of a tri- It was at that time more of a tribal society.
2: It was very much because then you're you're actually correct, Kevin. Because the the country unified itself when the French invaded in the 50s. When they, when the French attempted colonization to go after the rubber and go after the oil and go after some of the resources, the country unified the north and the south. There was no north and south then. It was all one Vietnam against the French. And, and the French paid dearly for it. Um, but when you started getting into ideology, you were absolutely correct. The influence of China and Russia wanting to spread political ideology did catch a, a tailwind. Uh, and that really is what drove the separation between the North and the South. Now, we obviously had a, a play in that as well. And I think between the, the larger countries, I think, played a, a very negative influence on what eventually became North and South Vietnam.
0: Yeah, because that was one of the things that they kept saying. In that time, that was we are defending capitalism against communism and the, the 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 rise of communism because we had just finished the Korean War. Well, we and, didn't finish.
2: Remember, that's true. that's true. We did not finish. It was just a ceasefire. Someone threw up a red flare and said time out. And problem is, the timeouts lasted what sixty years now, and it goes back to that closure. You know, it, Vietnam did finally get a closure in in. conflict they had with us and they got to move forward um but you bring up korea i've been to korea many times for work in in business and oh you still see that the dmz is still there it's still alive and well you still have you know rockets going this way bullets going that way and they're still saying they're not at war but they really are more of a truce and they can't move forward until they have some sense of closure as well and that needs to happen and you know
0: you know without getting too political here Because we could we could go down that rabbit hole a long way, um, but it's it's more important that that we are that we under that we you know the human condition we need to understand there's very little difference between a North Korean and a South Korean or uh, or even a Japanese and a, and a Korean we're all the same people yes. and we, we should all be kind to each other and reflect that and and that's why i love the work that you're doing the book that you've written and that you're shedding some light because i mm-hmm. you know i don't know about anybody in my audience but i don't know a lot about uh what's happened in vietnam since mm-hmm. 75 i know the common rouge was there in cambodia and there was a horrific period of time that they yes. went through but but the evolution of the society i have no idea what that's like what is that like today to go there
2: well, incredible. So even in, I've been, as you mentioned, I've been in IT you know, for almost 28 years. Uh, I've been in the cybersecurity field mo- of most of that time. And to see companies like Google and Apple and Hewlett Packard and others build factories and build software development centers in Da Nang and Nau Trang and, and, and Ho Chi Minh City and Hanoi, it's like you're seeing that they're taking advantage of the education system that's very, 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 very strong in Vietnam. They are incredibly strong math and very strong language skills. And now they're very much into software development and artificial intelligence. So to see companies like, you know, FPT become a national or even an international networking and cybersecurity vendor is, is incredible to see that. So it's not just rice fields and, you know, and, and selling trinkets. It really is. The country is evolving. They're staying in the 21st century. They're they're, they're making headways. I think Vietnam just shipped their very first EV cars to the United States uh, very, very recently that was manufactured in Vietnam. So You know, they are definitely on the technology. They're in education. And what's really interesting is they're now wanting more Vietnamese people that came to America to go to school to come home and say, hey, there is a job here. There is a future here to help build the country. You know, no one ever thought that was even possible in 1975.
0: No. Now, is the government still, quote, unquote, a communistic government, or is it more
2: it is it is so what i was there and that's part of what I covered in the book about you know the, the fictional part of the book where you know jack the main character had a relationship with lenin and obviously they were breaking a lot of laws by having a relationship like that so there is still very much a you know a lot of laws that, that deal with you know you can't show so much skin you can't do certain things on television you can't publish certain books you, you know there's still a lot of censorship at the communist level but they very much have embraced capitalism in a, in a positive way they have a stock market so they are very much doing trading um what's interesting is they haven't bit into the bitcoin nonsense which i'm very happy to, to hear that um but they very much uh, have open for trade uh, they they have some great benefits because of and i hate i don't want to say this in a, in a derogatory way but they have a very big benefit from covid because a lot of people wanting to move out of china and move supply chains vietnam was the next place that people moved a lot of their businesses to so they are getting a lot of the, you know, a lot of the growth from that as well. But the government still does things that, you know, you would expect the communist government to do, but you also are seeing people flourish. You're seeing a, a rise of the middle class. You're seeing, you know, poverty getting addressed finally, instead of it being pushed to the outlining districts uh, and let people sort of, you know, find their way. You are seeing the government spend more and more time to look after all the citizens, which I, which I think is a positive step. I would
0: think so. And, and, also i think the introduction of some manner and form of capitalism yes. will help because i think there needs to be a blend yes. and I, I can understand a, a uh, communist well i can't really understand the communist country because it it's all about it's all about power and that kind of yep. stuff but I, I i have no idea how one even works yep. rather than i know that somebody at the top gives the orders and then everybody hey, else well. <laughs> yeah. and, and that could be a dictatorship. That could be yeah. anything you want to, because it's not a matter of once you introduce capitalism. I see. I thought communism was that everybody was equal and everybody shared yeah. with the all the resources of of what the country produced together and stuff like that. It never works out like
2: that. And, and, and no, that that's the selling. That was the brochure on the way in. That's not the the ebook <laughs> on the way out. No, no, no. And I think many countries that have faltered, you know, like Venezuela and Cuba that have tried to stick by the original blueprint, realize that no, you're you're crippling, you're crumbling your society. But what makes Vietnam very, very appealing is it's a role model for countries that say, look, you can have your communistic ways, but you need to embrace and endorse Westernism in some form and they have, and they've done it in education, they've done it in public assistance. They obviously have done very well in adapting to tourism uh, and of course, manufacturing, and of course, now getting into the IT side of things in a very, very big way. I mean, when you have Microsoft and Google and Apple and Cisco showing up at the door saying, We want to have a presence here, it, it, it does speak volumes to how the government has done very well for itself.
0: By the way, we're talking with Patrick Greenwood. He is an author, he's also an IT guy. And <laughs> I, I cannot let I cannot let this conversation go on without talking about you being an IT guy Mm -hmm. and also the newest thing that's out there, which is called artificial
2: intelligence. Yes. Where are we going with this stuff? Well, so uh, great question. I actually, one of my things I do every day is I actually write blogs for clients. I'm actually a freelance blogger um, and I work currently for about nine customers worldwide. And I would say 60% of the articles I write is about how artificial intelligence and how it's relevant to what these clients are either building, supporting, or they're using internally. Now, artificial intelligence, the whole real gist of it, no matter how you slice and dice it, it's really about taking large amounts of information, processing the data, and coming back and saying, this is what we think is going to happen. We think based on all this analysis and stuff we're doing and all this chopping up the numbers and bits and things, we think this is this is the trend. This is the likelihood. Someone goes into a store at five o'clock p.m. They're going to buy beer versus milk. That all came about through artificial intelligence. Now, artificial intelligence, the reason it's getting a lot more praise is that it's now evolving from being not just simply telling you the guy's going to buy beer, but it's going to tell you the likelihood of this guy buying Budweiser versus you know Miller. And then it's, it's, going to be, it's going to be bottles or cans? Is it going to be a six-pack or 12-pack? If it's Saturday or Sunday before the big game, it's going to be a case. If it's Monday morning when he's hungover, it's going to be a tall boy. That's what artificial intelligence really does. Now, granted, it's beyond beer. I know I love beer, but beyond the beer. But, <laughs> the, the, but the point is that now what's happening in 2023 is now artificial intelligence is now going to go full Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator. It's now going to be able to respond. cybersecurity attacks based on artificial intelligence. So the system is going to respond on behalf of the person for the first time. So we're processing all this attacks and vectors coming in on cybersecurity. We now have become smart enough to say, okay, what do you do about it? Well, I don't, I can't handle a million attacks at the same time. So I need artificial intelligence to start defending my network. And that's where AI is becoming responsive AI or what they call adaptive AI this year. And that's really the part where we're starting to get into sky (laughs) a little too much. But by 2024, you're now going to see not only systems, but you're going to see autonomous cars using AI. You're going to see people pulling up. I've been holding their, their, their steering wheel and someone has a, God forbid, somebody has a diabetic attack and the car takes over and drives them right to the hospital that's really the goal and gain of where ai really is going to go to us because everything's become so connected there's no way our brains can keep up with all these connections so we need artificial intelligence to help us with that
0: what kind of time frame are we looking at
2: 2024 i think you'll start seeing autonomous cars communicating with internet of things sensors on the streets you're going to start seeing hospitals getting cars pulled up with the drivers holding his chest. You're going to see pharmacies getting automatic renewals of medication because people's at oh, all out of insulin drives to the nearest pharmacy. It's already waiting for them. So I think some of those practical applications, for especially for medical, I think we'll definitely see around 2024. There is a company, and I'm not going to give out the name because quite
0: frankly, they they opened up... At the end of last year, which mm-hmm. would be twenty two, mm-hmm. and they've already crashed their servers <laughs> because of the number of people that are trying yes. to buy this product. Yes, and this this particular product mm-hmm. is. And now, correct me if I'm wrong. If this is how it works, mm-hmm. is that you ask the the um, you ask this question mm-hmm. or any question that mm-hmm. you want yes. an answer to, and it's like I, I asked a question: Why Positive Talk Radio? And and so within a minute, yes. it had gone through what appeared to be the entire scope, width and breadth of the entire internet, and found everything relevant to Positive Talk Radio, brought it all together, and made sense of it in a two-paragraph thing. Is that possible?
2: Yes. Yes. So there is a lot of that happening today in in the writing industry and publishing industry that… Companies are looking at that kind of capability to write books. Instead of having writers do it, they're trying to say, "Well, there's enough, there's enough content out there in the world, which is very true. There's enough content on the world that AI can process it, and come back and give you a, a an objective opinion of what that is." Now, as, what's becoming challenging is, and this happens, this happened to Adobe last year, was when you started applying AI to pictures. Now you can start creating characters out of AI well, then who really owns the intellectual property of that picture? Was it influenced by somebody or was it simply AI driven? So there's, I think the same thing with text. I think you're going to see the same ethical battle as who really owns the words that come out of those tools, right? And and the other part is that, is it really going to be original content if it comes from an AI engine or is it going to be an acceptable content? Uh, and I think that's where this is going to get really, really you know, interesting. But I think ultimately it's designed to help Um, AI is very good on helping developers write software to say, what should be my next line of code? And it's smart enough to come right across the screen and say, here, paste this into here. Now your application works. So there is a lot of good, important reasons for it. But for it to create art and create words and books and stories and narratives, yeah, I I, I think that's probably where it's going to run into a lot of roadblocks. Well, and
0: one of the things that I was uh, watching and paying attention to is the artificial voice thing. Yes. Where you've got now this artificial voice that you can program Mm -hmm. to be female, male, child, old, young, you know, uh, have uh, different... uh, dialects and all that kind of stuff, and then they put that to commercials, yes. and and rather than having the human factor, but I can tell you this: they're not going to be able to make a, a AI that sounds like me. They're just not know. at all.
2: Not at all. No, you're one of a kind, Kevin. For sure. <laughs> your friend, you will never be emulated or, or replicated at all. But I, but I do think that there's a lot of people they're going to try and buy because they think it's an alternative way. The, the challenge is going to come down to is. Is this really you? Is this really the product that you want to put out there that does not have an identity? And I think people are going to scratch their heads going, you know, that's just a little too much. You know, flying cars, I feel you. It's coming, right? The whole having a hovercraft in my garage, I get that part. But the idea of it going too far, it's like it's like looking at when Facebook came out with Metaverse. I thought Metaverse was very cool with the whole headphones and gigs and you can do all these cool things. But it, it didn't do well because I think it takes things too far. I think it takes the visualization of a meeting to the point where you're no longer really sitting in a room anymore. You know, Kevin and I hanging out, you know, doing a high five between meetings. When you don't have that human touch anymore, and you're now relying on that visualization, when does it really become real? And I think same thing. I think commercials, artificial voice, artwork, you know, writing. I, I think people are going to stand up and say, "Okay, enough's enough. We still want some form of originality in the world." Exactly. Speaking of which, (laughs) let's
0: take a break. I've got a a couple commercials that we need to run. We're talking, by the way, with Patrick Greenwood. He is an author. He's an IT specialist. Uh, He's a uh, a, 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 a rode his bicycle all around Vietnam. He's 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 he's, really is a talented man. And I get the book and the name of the book again is Sunrise in Saigon. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's it really is Exciting. So we are uh, audio and video here on Positive Talk Radio. So we're going to actually play commercials that you can see now. It's pretty cool. So so with that we'll be right back in about 2 minutes. So stay tuned. Hey there. I'm excited that you're listening right now and if you like what we're doing here, you're going to love positivetalkradio.net. On positivetalkradio.net, each show which is recorded live is packed with positive information, with real people discussing real issues and positive solutions that can work for everyone. I hope that you'll join us on PositiveTalkRadio.net and listen to all 340 plus shows. I think it's worth your time. But then, that's just me. That's PositiveTalkRadio.net, your home for great progressive positive podcasts.
2: When you want to say more than words communicate, you can with flowers. Your custom boutique floral studio in Bothell, Washington is anaturaldesign.com, connecting you to nature through the language of flowers. Where your people are is where our flowers are beautiful. Your success is our goal. A naturaldesign.com at your fingertips today.
0: Hey, my friend. I'd really like to thank you for listening to the show today. As you may know, I started Positive Talk Radio way back in 2003. We were one of the first shows on KKNW. For 11 months, I was fortunate to be part of many lives, making a positive difference with great interviews and discussions, creating new thoughts and ideas. Sadly, for financial reasons, I had to terminate the show. Well, it took 18 years, but we're back better than ever. And not only on KKNW Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, but also podcasting with several inspiring channels with the same driving passion as the original. Please visit kmmedia.pro for complete information about all of these shows. In addition, if you feel called to keep positive programming on the air, you can join us by sponsoring the show and aligning yourself with our mission, which is nothing short of saving the planet and each other. Again, that's kmmedia.pro. I'll see you there. And welcome back to Positive Talk Radio. My name is Kevin McDonald and Peter Greenwood. What do you think, Peter? were those okay?
2: Patrick. Patrick. <laughs> Jeez. What did I call you? Peter. <laughs> How the hell did I end up with Peter? Patrick. I've got, Peter works too, but Patrick's great. No, no,
0: P- Patrick is much better. I I like, because you've you got a bit of an
2: Irish uh, tint to that. don't oh, it? Yeah. Yeah. My both, both sides of my family are from Ireland. Yes.
0: Oh, very good. How'd you end up in Southeast Asia?
2: <laughs> well, I was born in New Jersey. I knew you've heard that before. <laughs> I was born in Jersey and then I lived in Northern Virginia for most of my young adult life. Then I served in the Marine Corps uh, in the 1980s. Uh, and I was stationed out here in California. at Camp Pendleton. And uh, then I did uh, after 88, I got into technology, just stayed here in the Southern California area. You know, a lot of good work. Of course, the, uh, internet was growing back then. I mean, I remember Microsoft Windows in 1988, and Microsoft Excel in 1988. Um, And I was in technology and worked in the area and had a chance, obviously, to travel the world and, you know, sell technology in Asia and Europe and other places as well.
0: Did you think that it was going, that technology was going to take off and grow as fast as it has?
2: Yes. So when I was four, my father worked at Bell Laboratories in New Jersey, which was the old Thomas Edison lab. And in 1968, he used to take us into his office and some of the areas. And that was where fiber optic cabling was was it was actually consumed. And when you actually see the idea of 1968, where they were talking about a laser fiber cable underground, you're like, well, what? What good is that? Well, I had no idea how much copper was underneath the street at the time. So to see fiber optic come in in '68 and then realize that it was the it was the birth of telecommunications that you know is still ongoing to now 40, 50 years later. Uh, so having a father in technology and having my mother was a nurse as well you we always had technology at home we had the very first computer we had a terminal with a phone we plugged in that we could play war games on the pentagon computers so i always grew up in tech so i knew tech was going to take off it wasn't until the early 80s when you started seeing apple microsoft really become you know what they were especially with windows and you are just shake your head going well it used to be just one screen one keyboard what's this little plastic thing over here and then, suddenly you just saw it take off. But I was also working in, in networking at Cisco when the dot coms were around. So I saw hundreds of companies getting started on the internet, selling everything from a shoehorn to, you know, a beer opener, and they were all making money in some form back then. So no, I very much have. Uh, I've done. I've been through a lot of it. Worked in industry for quite a while. Uh, I, I, even today, uh, being in cyber, I still write about it. It just amazes me all the new stuff that keeps coming out, including artificial intelligence, of course.
0: So, so I just want to, you, pass over this really quickly. And if you want to uh, not say anything
2: more about it, feel free, but you played war games on the Pentagon's computers. There was actually a football. It was all, it was all, it printed out. It was no, there was no displays back then. It literally was paper. And, but you could type in football and you could play the Redskins versus the Giants and you could pick a play like hit number two on the keyboard. That would be a running play. And the computer would pick number seven, which was defense. And they would print out the outcome like my, like John Reagan ran for 46 yards. And, uh, and that was, uh, it was, it was fascinating, but this was all done over taking the handset or the phone from the wall that my dad had plugged right into the back of the terminal. And he punched in a bunch of numbers and suddenly we're connected to the Pentagon to play, to play games. Now he obviously had other stuff he was doing, which I didn't know, but, but the idea was he had his, he had, cause it was my brothers and I, <clears throat> and we're sitting there playing on this terminal and and we ran out of paper because we were playing so much football in it. But yeah, no, that was that really was something. So when I grew up and, and had exposure to technology early on, it, it definitely influenced me, particularly in the military, to really stay close to technology.
0: So I got to ask this part because uh, somebody is in the audience is asking. Okay, so if we have AI by twenty twenty four, so where where is this technology thing going, and are we going to actually going to be You know, one of one of my heroes is Gene Roddenberry. Yes, and he believed that by the twenty third century, that that AI would be taking care of all of our basic needs, so no one would have to actually have a job anymore. (laughs) <laughs> you could relax, and you could pursue what your passion was, and your your needs would be taken care of, and the planet would be taken care of. And it would be. Do you see? is that is that too far out there? But I want to remind people that that the flip phone was on Star Trek in nineteen sixty seven. Was
2: the communicator? Yeah, and then oh. on your watch, where you can do this on your watch, it's like, whoa, wait a minute, that's you know, Captain it's Kirk. crazy, right? Exactly. So I think that AI is going to be a necessity uh, and machine learning is a necessity. And I think as you're going to see more and more come out next year and the year after and the year after that, what drove all of this is the amount of data we generate. Every single device generates data The you know, the tone, the phones, the Wi-Fi in my house, the speakers, the, the way we're streaming and we're recording this podcast today takes it stores data it has to be stored somewhere in the cloud, right? Now how it processes the data, it needs artificial intelligence to be able to do that especially if you're talking about 300 podcasts you know kevin that you've been involved in how, how are we going to sort through 300 podcasts that are an hour long and do so manually it's impossible you have to have some tools to do that so like everything else our society evolves we're, we're going to be now having medical records available globally because of blockchain but having the ability to log into blockchain is going to require some form of artificial intelligence so it's there it's coming it's going to affect everything we do. But the good thing is that there are some positive reasons for it. There's a very positive way of saying I need to know quickly how I'm going to get, you know, diagnosed, I need to know quickly what is the right medication I need to be taking. Instead of it taking weeks, it's now minutes, that information can come available. So the positive side, I think of where AI is going to go very well. Now on the side I write on is the cybersecurity side, how easy is it for hackers? to hack into AI. It's very easy for them to do that. It's very easy for them to manipulate the data going into AI. So there's a lot of companies today that are investing in protecting data going into AI, which is wonderful. And there's a lot of companies investing a huge amount of money to protect the cloud. So I think the good thing is, yes, we see the value of AI, but at the same time, we're also doing the right things to help protect it as well. I'm glad you said all that. I'm really-
0: <laughs> <laughs> Talking, talking with you was like talking to with my nephew. It's kind of like uh, I was talking to him one day and I said, so what is it exactly that yeah. you do? And that was the last sentence that I um, figured out what he was talking about for the next five minutes. Yes. And then he was done. He said, does that make sense? I said, I have no idea what you just said. Yes. Because you have to be of a certain mindset and that kind of stuff. But that, So will there be a time when we're not going to have to worry about getting hacked? And that AI is going to protect us in in that way? Or is that are the bad guys always going to be out there?
2: Always going to be out there. And the one thing about hacking is that they always evolve. They evolve their strategies. They change their attack vectors constantly. If one hack doesn't work, they try a new way. A good example is how often you get an email telling you you just won a million dollars from some lottery in Nigeria. And you realize that half the words in the email are misspelled. Right, the reason that that email still comes to you every day is because it works. There is a percentage of people that are going to read that email, going, a oh, million dollars, I got to fly to Nigeria. Oh, oh, they need my bank account, and they give up their bank account information. That still happens today. That phishing stuff still happens. People guessing your password, people people impersonating you for ten minutes before they apply for a credit card, still exists. As long as people still fall for cyber attacks and hacking, we're always going to have bad guys. And the more that we become dependent on cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, uh, things that we need every day to, you know, to live our lives, there's always going to be a hacker out there saying, boy, if I could hack into that person for just 10 seconds and put, you know, a little transaction on his bank and sift out, you know, a million dollars in the next two years out of his bank account, they're going to be all over it. So, no, cyber cyber attacks will never go away.
0: I interviewed a gal that had lost million dollars to a gentleman who was in um um, in africa somewhere Mm -hmm. he didn't he wasn't he said he was a doctor from england but the guy came came clean after a period of time Mm -hmm. and you know even social media i i had someone uh uh, messaged me at two o'clock in the morning and Mm -hmm. said i'm in uganda and we have a school here and we don't have any money and we don't have any food for the kids right and can you send me money and send me food um and, and so i looked a little bit further into it and mm-hmm. it it was a pure scam and yeah. so you have to take the attitude that everybody's out to get your money and that you have to verify you know what did ronald reagan say uh, trust but verify
2: yeah and that that's it i mean and you got it it's your identity now what i think is changing which i think is a good thing is in europe when they passed gdpr which is the general protection act means that people now have the responsibility of their own data they now can say i'm not going to i don't want you to touch my data my data is my data that type of privacy is going to keep going it's going to come here in america it's going to be in other countries as well so the ability for us to know that we're going to choose where our data is going to be stored who can access it so someone doesn't sell my data to facebook or some other company to say hey you know i my data is now being used for political reasons i now have the ability to say don't do that and i think that's really going to be the balancing act of artificial intelligence yes you can use analytics but you do not Include my data. I'm going to opt out. So I think you're going to see more and more opt-out laws come into place to help protect people. Say, I don't want to be part of that study. I don't want to be part of that survey. Right? Don't don't include my information in that. And I think the more people gain control of their data, the less likely they're going to get scammed. Well, and and you know,
0: and I'm glad to hear that that's that's coming down the pike because, as you know, it's like. And YouTube does it and Facebook does it. They have their algorithms that they do not share with people and their algorithms change uh, to suit them. And yeah. so you never so there's this whole industry yes. because I'm in podcasting and stuff, and so are you. Uh <laughs> a whole industry of of trying to figure out what the algorithm is at YouTube so that you can defeat it and Absolutely. then go viral and, and make and make
2: money. Absolutely. But that's but there's that's a good side to it because you're promoting. You promote a beautiful show with your with your positive, you know, broadcast that you do, and how many positive messages you're sending out to affect the world in a very good way. And I think you should have keyword searching. You should have search engine working for you to help get your message out to people that may not know your radio station even exists yet. So I think your your show are a good example. You're a positive example of it. The negative example is when people are taking gambling sites and making it available for a four year old. Right. That's the part that you know is where there needs to be some governance, but but who should govern what? And I think that's what this whole blockchain decentralization strategy is going towards, is getting out of someone being an authority and saying, you know what? I'm, I don't want that person to tell me what to do with my data. I want my data to be here. And I, by the way, him, 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 and him, and her can access it, nobody else. That, that's where 2003 is really going to be a big drive towards personalization of data ownership. I think that's that's a really good thing then. Very positive, yes. <clears throat> very, very good. So let's let
0: let's talk about <laughs> you know I know why I said Peter because I had a had a guest on his name was Peter Greenlaw and you are Patrick Greenwood,
2: but it's no. close. No worries. It's all peas. No problem, it's all peas, man. No problem. <laughs>
0: Patrick Greenwood is with us. He's written the book Sunrise in Saigon, and it, it is kind of a uh, it's a thriller in the in a cyber thriller in the in like uh, um. Where I said his name earlier,
2: um, Tom Clancy. Um,
0: yes, Clancy would do and and stuff like that. Are you do you have another book in the works?
2: Yes. So uh, Sunrise in Saigon, which is this one here, uh, actually was released on November the 30th. Um, And over my shoulder, you can see uh, that one. (laughs) Uh, That is called Codename Dragon Vault. That is coming out in July of 2023, if I can get my editing down right. Um, But that's the next one coming out. But Sunrise Saigon did come out on November 30th. It was released by Austin McCauley, who's my publisher. Um, It was tagged as very much of a historical fictional with romance, of course. Um, It is definitely inspired by some true events. So there is some uh, nonfiction and fiction blend uh, in the book as well. But one of the things that was very uh, good about the book is it did reflect a lot of my first trip in 2012. Uh, and the book kind of touches a little bit upon you know what I found uh, surprising about the country, of course. Um, but obviously, you know as you get towards the end of the book, it does turn very fictional. Um, there is some introduction of some really, really um, less than stellar people at the end of the book that's kind of hook into the next one as well. So it is definitely going to be a series. There's a total of six books. Uh, in the Jack Kendall series. And uh, codenamed Dragon Ball is the, is the second one, obviously, in succession.
0: Good for you. How do you know that they're going to be six
2: already? Uh, I wrote them. So you're, you're looking behind me on the wall is actually the covers <laughs> <laughs> of the book. So I've actually written uh, five of the seven already. Um, I'm starting to put together a piece of, of book five at the end and starting to hook it into six. And uh, And everyone always asks the questions. People read the book. They always ask the question, okay, is Lynn – does Lynn make an appearance? And Lynn's obviously the female character. Uh, and I said, no, she does not show up again until book six. And to see the look of disappointment on people's faces is, is kind of fun to see. But I said no, 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 Jack moves on and you know whatever. But uh, it, it is fun when people have read the book. They, a lot of uh, friends, family have come back and said, okay, we're, what's real, what's not real? I said, well, that's why you have to read the book. Because when you read it, you're going to go, wow. Now, the reason this is such a big Tom Clancy thing if you remember reading The Hunt for Red October, seeing the movie with Alec Baldwin, oh yes. you're going, okay, did that really happen? It, the level of detail Clancy put in his books was amazing. I mean, the submarines and the, and the tactics and, 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 and the different types of capabilities in the sonar, you're like, okay, this must have happened. There must have been a Soviet submarine that went you know deep in the Atlantic. And they always come back saying, no, no, that never existed. So I was very influenced by Clancy's writing, and, and a little bit of Hemingway as well, but probably more of Clancy's writing, that he wrote with such little detail, but he still called it a fictional novel. And, and that's what really inspired me in my writing was to say, look, I've got some non-fictional events I, I'd love to include in there, but there's also a lot of fiction into it as well. and But I want to make sure that it's a good blend that people not only enjoy the story, but it does set up the hook, obviously, for the next book as well.
0: I know one of the first things that you did when you went to Vietnam the first time, I can I can remember vividly in my mind's eye, mm-hmm. uh, the building of the embassy and yes. the helicopters yes. landing on the roof and then taking off. Yes. Is that embassy
2: still in existence, or no. is it a hole in the ground? What is it? Well, not to give away too much of the book, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> part of the book is it does talk about Jack, the main character, and Lynn, who is his translator uh it's how they kind of slept through the, the town of Saigon looking for the embassy Because Jack was obviously very much since since he was eleven uh remembers that you know the time life photo of the embassy and people trying to crawl over the barbed wire and the marines were holding everybody back until the last helicopter was there but uh in, in truth to be told in in the non fictional world that we live in today uh it is now the u s consulate um the old building was torn down uh, the whole area was actually. Pretty much torn down, and the irony, and again, not to give away too much in the book, but the irony was when Jack and Lynn finally found the building, it said U.S. Consulate, and sure enough, right across the street from the consulate was a Hard Rock Cafe restaurant. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it does tell you a little of the innovation that's going on there. But in the, but in the book, it does talk about the journey of of, and that's why I, when I wrote the book. Uh, I, 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 when I sign the book and I pin it out to people to thank them for reading it, I do say enjoy the journey because the book is very much a, a journey from you know Jack's life and Jack turning his life around, going to Vietnam and then life after Vietnam and then things he wants to do to make himself having a better life and and it is it really is about that journey that we all have in our heart that we always said God I wish I would have gone to Tahiti when I was you know forty or I wish I would have taken this job so the book very much ties into people's choices in life and saying, I should have taken that journey in this book on the fictional side is that Jack made the decision to make that journey, risking a lot of his personal and and obviously his health to make this journey. And obviously, you know, obviously the outcome is the way the book ended. And I, I love that aspect of the book because what we don't want to do in this
0: life is to end it and have regrets about not doing the things in life that are important. Yes, and you know, loving loving your family, taking care of people, um, you know, doing all of those things. Lo- those are really important. Now I had to ask you because you know, mm-hmm. I generally don't know, and I'm I'm pretty historically aware and 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 stuff. But do we are, are do we have uh, um,
2: diplomatic relations yes.
0: with uh, with uh, Vietnam?
2: Oh, absolutely. There's an embassy in Hanoi, and there's a consulate uh, in in Ho Chi Minh City, which is what Vietnam or Saigon is now known. Um, and yes, there is a lot of trade. There's a lot of Westernization, and not only us. But when I was there, I stayed at the Renaissance Hotel in District One by the River. Very beautiful hotels. It looks like the you know the marquee in New York, uh, New York Times Square. It's designed exactly the same way. It has the atrium and everything. It's an amazing hotel. But you heard German, Russian, French, Italian, Spanish you know, Portuguese, you heard languages from all over the world, Japanese, Korean, Filipino, you, you, you heard all these languages, um, you know, in the hotel. So it is definitely an international uh, place, uh, not only for commerce, but for, for tourism as well. Well, that, that's pretty awesome. Now, did you make it all the way up to Hanoi? <laughs> no, not quite. Um, I did actually go the other way. Uh, so my first cycling tour, which again, I cover a little bit in the book, uh, starts in, in Saigon or Ho Chi Minh City. Uh, we rode all the way to the Cambodian border, which is true. And then we went down in the Mekong Delta and rode around the entire Delta region. Then we kind of came out through the southern end of, of Saigon through one of the districts. But uh, Saigon has 13 districts, and I actually cycled through all 13 of them oh, <laughs> during geez. my time. So I did a lot of street riding. Um, and I, I actually, in real life, I filmed it with a GoPro camera and I was weaving in and out of cars, scooters, traffic, you know, like, a, like, and that also is what inspired, you know, when I found out about, you know, helmets for kids. Right, It's it's these things that are manufactured in Vietnam for kids. Uh, they have my logo on it, my Cycle Rider helmet uh, logos on it as well. But to actually cycle, obviously, I had a helmet on. I had my GoPro camera going crazy. But to look around to see children that were just like braving themselves, you know, dodging cars and dealing with all the 8 million scooters really inspired me. So not only did I enjoy cycling in, in, in Saigon, but it was absolutely a, an eye-waking experience as well. You are a special dude, I do have to tell you. <laughs>
0: Thank uh, you. And uh, Patrick Greenwood has been our guest, and uh, um, he's a, he's an awesome guy. And and I, I want to thank you for shedding some light on what's what's the as far as AI goes, and and uh, that's artificial intelligence, first. artificial oh,
2: intelligence, sure.
0: and and, <laughs> and and stuff because it's it's you know when you think about it, and I was born in '57. Mm-hmm. And the things that have happened in my lifetime in this world are amazing. And now we're going to go to the next level. I, I got to ask you, do you think that we will ever have a food replicator like they do in Star Trek?
2: No, oh. no, I don't think so. I think, I think humanity wins. It wins at the end of the day, but no, I, I don't think so. At least I hope not. No, but I don't think so.
0: Okay. Well, that's it. How about <laughs> How about transporters? Will we be able to send our molecules all over the galaxy?
2: Yeah, but the first time somebody gets lost, we <laughs> <they'll> are get sued. <laughs> so, no, I, I don't think we'll be transporting ourselves. I think there's enough. The funny thing is and I love the way you're, you're, you're talking a lot about Star Trek, and I was a huge fan of Star Trek as well growing up. I remember the pilot, of course. If people don't remember who Christopher Pike was, they never saw the pilot. But even right. the pilot, you know, with the fake guns, you're like, okay, where's there ever going to be lasers? Now, now the Navy has lasers on the ship shooting down missiles. So I think Gene Roddenberry was very visionary in so many ways that we can always say thank you to him. But I, I do think that humanity is going to look at everything and go, okay, cool, but... And the other thing is also we need to we need upper education to match the forward way. You can't think of 1960s education in 2023, right? You have to think about... Improving education, so we can take advantage of all these wonderful advancements. And the first country that can harness AI and harness these advancements for the better of their society is going to win. They're going to win the day. If we don't up our education, help our kids become better educated, and our adults becoming better educated, we won't be able to take advantage of any of this stuff either. We, we're going to we're going to fall behind in the race, and exactly. somebody else is going to take it right out from under us. Absolutely. You know, so,
0: in any event, uh, Patrick Greenwood. Again, I, before we go. Mm-hmm. You have a podcast. Yes, Tell I me do.
2: about your podcast. Yeah, so I run[s] it on Saturdays at 10 a.m. It is called Writers on Writers over at triple Expresso. Uh, I have writers just like yourself come on. We talk about the books. We talk about what their projects they're working on. Um, it allows the writers to come on and just say, just talk about anything you want. And I've had some wonderful writers in 2022. I had almost 20 writers come on, talk about their book releases. Um, you know why they wrote it. You know what kind of blogs are they. You know supporting. And all of us talk about marketing. How do we market our books? How do we get into right podcasts? And the opportunity to be on your show today, Kevin, has been an absolute honor for me. And I thank you for you helping writers like myself get on and get our word out about help promoting our book as well. It is humbly my pr- pleasure
0: to be, able to, to be able to help you. Because I, I, I don't know how you guys do what you do, uh, but I applaud what you do, and, and I, I really, really enjoy it. Now, we've only got like two minutes left. So I want to, I want to give you the opportunity mm-hmm. to tell our audience that's listening today and those that will be listening in the future mm-hmm. anything that's on your heart that you would like them to know.
2: I hope they love the book, Sunrise Gone It's available on Amazon.com. It's also available on BarnesandNoble.com, Walmart.com as well. Uh, anywhere and anywhere that you can buy a book, you can definitely get the book as well. It is about life's journey. I hope that you enjoy the book. Uh, please leave a good review on Amazon. That's how writers let us get recognized as well. But uh, more importantly, you know, the book is Supporting Helmets for Kids in Vietnam. Uh, I raised almost $2,000 last quarter just on selling coffee and also selling books uh, to help. And my goal this year is to provide 1,000 helmets to these kids as well. Um, but, no, please enjoy the book. And uh, if you have any questions, go to my website, Uh, uh You'll definitely see my movie trailer uh, up there as well. That's a, that's a really nice movie trailer, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I've been getting <laughs> out of praise from it, yeah. <laughs> and
0: by, by the way, you know, your, your, uh, your podcast, again, is called? Writers on Writers
2: over Triple espresso.
0: And you sound like when you're talking, just on a regular basis, you sound like you've had a Triple espresso.
2: Oh, several. Actually, I did. See, I actually have my little <laughs> coffee mug here. And uh, okay. and I have my coffee brand here. So if you want coffee to support, it's from CycleRider, the number three, Expresso.com. And you can get it online? Is it on your Absolutely. website?
0: absolutely so they can go to your website and get it
2: yes so psychorider rider three expresso.com is my coffee site um and you you can buy uh i have sunrise and saigon coffee up there i have a coffee mugs all proceeds of the coffee and coffee mug sales go to helmets for kids as well
0: you sir are a shining example of someone who can take a lot of time to give back to so, do something worthwhile for the world mm-hmm that anybody needs something worthwhile for the world but we do thank and you. i want to thank you very much patrick for being here go to his website um sunrise and saigon novel.net thank
2: you and, yep. uh, thanks for having me here today
0: oh thank you and we will see you on friday everybody and by the way remember be kind to one another because each other's all we've got we'll see you on friday at noon mm-hmm. And Patrick, thank you. Thank you, Kevin.